Welcome to the Numa Church Podcast. For more information on all things Numa, please contact us on our website, numa.church. Now get ready for another inspirational message. Well, I wonder how many of us tonight have ever been in a situation where we haven't felt that secure. About six years ago, I went to America with a friend and we went and visited Yosemite National Park. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's a huge national park. It's like a giant forest. It's, I've never seen nature that size. And as we were driving there, I was quite hungry. And so I pulled out a packet of red frogs and I offered them to my friend. And she was like, oh, I'm really not allowed to have them. I really shouldn't have them, but okay, stuff it. I'll have a few. So she had some red frogs. And then we finally got to the lodge, the cabin where we were staying in. We got into the cabin and my friend went off and had a shower. And I just sort of chilled out in the room. And while she was having a shower, I heard the water turn on and then it turned off 30 seconds into it. And she yelled out, Becky, you there? I said, yeah. And she's like, is everything all right? You're all good? I'm like, yeah, just chilling out. She's like, all right. So the shower turned on again. And then about 30 seconds later, the shower turned off and she said, Beck, are you okay? Are you, are you there? And I was like, yep, Han, I'm still here. Everything's fine. She's like, all right. And so this happened about three or four times. And I thought, how strange, but I didn't say anything. Anyway, we got into the car and then we went to the walking track in Yosemite National Park. We got out of the car and we started walking and to be honest, it was a little bit eerie. There was not many people around and it was a huge forest. And as we're walking, about 30 minutes into it, this sort of man just appeared out of nowhere and we looked at him and he's like, oh, do you mind if you take my picture? And we're like, sure. So I grabbed his camera and took a photo of him. Anyway, he kind of seemed a little bit creepy, but we kept walking and then suddenly my friend just grabbed my arm and she said, don't look back, but he's staring right at us. Don't look back. Oh my goodness, he's coming towards us. Okay, he's picking up the pace. Run, just run. And so I just panicked. My stomach dropped. It was getting dark. We didn't have a torch and I just bolted and I was like, please, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. God, let me live. And I've never run so fast in my life. Actually, I've never run so far in my life. And we finally got back to the car. I was gasping for air. We jumped in. I locked the doors and then I looked to my right and he was sitting in the car, his car next to us. And so we screamed and we ran back, I mean, we drove back to the cabin. And so I finally calmed down when we got to the cabin. And then my friend said to me, Beck, I gotta tell you something. And I was like, What? And she's like, you know how I said I wasn't allowed to eat those red frogs, the lollies? And I said, Yeah. She's like, it's because it makes me paranoid. There's an ingredient in those lollies that make me paranoid. And I was like, I didn't even think that was possible. And I said, so is that why you kept asking me where I was and if I was okay a hundred times while you were in the shower? And she's like, yes. And then I looked at her and I just paused and I said, so that man in the forest, he wasn't chasing us, was he? She kind of looked at me with an awkward smile. And I was like, Han, why didn't you tell me? I wouldn't have let you have these red frogs. I just ran from someone I thought was a murderer when he was probably just this innocent tourist and thinking these two girls are crazy. Anyway, we laughed it off and she was allowed no red frogs for the rest of our America trip. But can I tell you, when I was in that forest and I was running for my life, there was absolutely no security whatsoever. We didn't have a torch. No one was around. The last thing I felt was secure. And there can be many times in our lives where we don't feel secure. And tonight, I don't just mean physically, although that can happen. I also mean emotionally. The feeling of not being secure on an emotional level, level we more commonly know this as insecurity. 
And if there was ever a time that our insecurities are highlighted, it's usually over this Christmas and New Year period. It might be that you're uncertain that you're going to get that job or that promotion in the new year. Or maybe everyone seems to have this perfect Instagrammable Christmas, but for you the reality of a family gathering is anything but. It's complicated and it's messy. And often when we think about Christmas and we read the famous story, we associate it with joy and love and peace and good tidings. And don't get me wrong, Christmas is all of those things. But there was another side to the original story, a side we don't often hear about, a side of insecurity. If you have your Bibles, why don't you come with me to Matthew chapter 2. We'll start at verse 1. It's a big chunk of scripture, so hold, hold tight. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during their time of King Herod, Magi, so Magi are the wise men, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, Skip to verse 7. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose, it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They then opened, they came and saw Mary and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. And then just jump down to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill the boys in Bethlehem, all of them, and its vicinity, and in their vicinity, two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. You see, Herod was one of the most insecure kings that had ever lived. He was the king of Judea, but he was also known as a, a puppet king because Rome had a huge influence over him. And therefore, the Jews that he was leading weren't his biggest fans. He was also obsessed with naming, um, keeping his name great. Historians have called him Herod the Great, and he built many, built many buildings, but he named them after himself. He also actually rescued the Olympic Games. He had them continue, not so much because he loved sport, but because he wanted to keep his name alive so everyone could remember him. But one of the main things in history tells us about King Herod is that he was terrified of being overthrown by rivals. So much so that it, he killed a number of his family members because they thought that he thought that they wanted to take his throne and take his place. And so, of course, no surprise that when the prophesied Messiah, the King of the Jews, was born, he felt threatened and did everything in his power to try and get rid of him. You see, Satan used Herod's insecurities to try and kill Jesus and to try and put an end to the plans and purposes of God. And something I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring to our attention tonight is that in the same way, 2,000 years later, Satan is still trying to use insecurity to kill the plans and purposes of God, to try and shut down the call on our life. Someone once described insecurity as this, 
Wrong security exposed. Now, I know for a fact that every single one of us, including myself, have encountered feelings of insecurity at some point in our life. But the thing is, we don't always like to admit it. In fact, sometimes we're just completely unaware of it. So here's a glimpse of what it can look like. Feeling like you have to say sorry all the time. Intimidated by strong, gifted people. Needing to be needed. Thinking me instead of we. Needing to control outcomes and people in your world. Overly sensitive, self-conscious, defensive, the list goes on and on. And in the day and age that we are living in, there is an epidemic of insecurity. And the enemy, the thief, is trying to do everything he can to use insecurity to rob this generation of their peace, of their freedom, of their joy. He's trying to rob them of their relationships and their calling and their fruitfulness. And to be honest, I've had enough. I'm sick of it because it's not just happening outside the church. It's happening inside the church. And I have a word impressed on my heart because I believe that God wants us to be a secure people, to know who we are in Christ and everything He has for us. Because if we truly want to advance God's kingdom and we want to raise a generation in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we're going to have to deal with our insecurity. Why? Because it not only shapes our attitude of ourself, but it influences our behaviour. You see, King Herod was constantly trying to prove himself. He was trying to prove to the Romans that he was a, a good enough king and, you know, worship their gods. And then on the other hand, he's trying to prove to the Jews that he was good enough to be their leader. And he was even married a Jewish woman just to seek their approval. Often insecurity will lead us to a point where we feel like we need to prove ourselves, trying to show our boss that we're good enough. We take on so much work because we just want to prove that we have the capacity and that we're capable. And we don't say no and end up driving ourselves to the ground trying to show that we deserve that position or that promotion. And can I just say, just a little side note, we often blame our workplace for the pressure that we feel, but majority of the time it's not our workplace. It's the pressure we're putting on ourselves to prove that we are good enough. Or sometimes we tell people about our achievements just so that they'll approve us. And I'm not talking about secular achievements, I'm talking about spiritual ones too. Feeling like the need to communicate every revelation and post about every single thing that we're achieving in God. You know, something I love about Pastor Don is that he doesn't feel the need to tell every single person about all that God's doing through him. And I know that Don goes into that quiet time. He goes into that secret place where no one else is looking and spends time with God. I know that behind the scenes is given so generously to so many people in need. I mean, he does more pastoral visits than any of us would be aware of. He prays over families and homes. God is using him so powerfully, but he doesn't feel the need to broadcast it and tell everyone every single thing that he's doing because he's secure. He doesn't feel the need to prove his Christianity or who he is. And you know, there's nothing wrong with posting about what God's doing. But if we're doing it out of a motive just to project this sort of image, then that's not very good. And you know, it's exactly the same as Jesus in the wilderness. Satan tried to get Jesus to prove who he was. He said, you know what? If you are the Messiah, turn this stone into bread. Jesus didn't want a bar of it. He's like, I know who I am. I don't need to prove who I am. See, the moment we start trying to prove ourselves is the moment we start performing. I think in our head, we have this idea of an insecure person as someone that's shy and timid. And yes, that is the case sometimes, but a lot of the time it's the ones that are performing. 
needing to be at the very top, needing to be the smartest, the prettiest, the richest, the most popular, the most talented, accomplished, the most anointed. When we perform, we find our worth and value in what we do. We look for security in our achievements and our position. But as we can see from King Herod's life, his position didn't change his condition. No matter what title he had, no matter how much he achieved or how rich he became, he was still insecure. This is because none of those things bring security. They can disappear overnight. In fact, I know a couple that had a multi-million dollar company and they lost it in, in one day. In 24 hours, they lost everything they built into, all the money they made. They lost it overnight. Money isn't secure. Even our looks, my goodness, we can lose our looks overnight. Gravity eventually has, takes its toll and skin starts to sag You know, I don't know if you've ever watched the TV show Neighbours, but there was a a character called Harold. So this is a number of years ago. Um, But he had kind of like, let's say, wobbly cheeks. So a little bit saggy and, you know, a little bit like a turkey when he'd get annoyed and just sort of shake them and they would wobble. Well, my dad had the same cheeks. And guess who inherited them? Moi! And you might not be able to tell because I'm wearing my new Drew Barrymore face illuminator. But they are there. They are there and gravity is going to take its toll. Looks aren't secure people. And yet so many of us try and find our security and worth in what we look like, in what we own or even who we know. We think, oh, if we just could be friends with that person and in that group or we can just be connected with this person, then maybe people will notice us. Maybe we'll have some sort of status. Can I ask you a question tonight? When you encourage someone, Are you genuinely encouraging them or are you doing it to get something back? Because when we're obsessed with needing to be needed and chasing after status, we'll often use people to get there. I actually found out recently that Instagram influencers, so people that have a lot of followers, will comment on the right posts in hope that that person will comment back so that it will increase their followers. So when you see the little love hearts and the, oh, you look so beautiful all over Instagram, that's not for their, that's not for the person's benefit, that's for their own benefit. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 7, Herod said to the Magi, he he got them and he um, secretly to try and find out where the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. In other words, he was using the Magi for his own benefit. And then he said, as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. King Herod had no intention of worshipping Jesus. That was a lie. He wanted to kill him. You see, when we are operating out of insecurity, we will do almost anything, even lie, just to project the right image. We refuse to let people come close to us in case they see our flaws or they figure out that we don't have it all together. Can I tell you tonight that none of us are perfect? In fact, our generation isn't looking for perfect people. They're not looking for perfect Christians. They're not even looking for perfect pastors. That's something that I had to work through. You know, maybe a couple of generations ago, people found security in their leaders or the Christians being perfect, but that's not what our generation is like. They want to know the real you. They want to see what God is doing in your life. They want to see the transforming power at work in your life. You know, 
One day, Jackson and I, you know, can be in our home and we're worshipping God and we're praising God for our relationship and all that he's doing in our life and the calling that he has for us. And then the next day, we could be arguing like cats and dogs. There might be, you know, a door slam here or there. Jackson doesn't slam doors. I may be the one that has slammed a door. But God is doing a continual work in us. And we can't be afraid of sharing that. We've got to admit that we have flaws. I mean, are we forgetting that God chose the um, foolish things of the world to shame the wise? He didn't choose the perfect things. He chose the foolish things. And can I encourage you, even this week, even this this Christmas period, grab a few close friends and tell them your flaws. Tell them what you are struggling with, your vulnerabilities, because I guarantee you when you do this, it will deliver you from shame and it would actually free you from trying to um, project the perfect image and perform. When we fall into the trap of performing, it inevitably leads to competition. And this is the height of insecurity. When we stop looking up and we start looking to the left or the right, Suddenly trying to compete with one another, suddenly trying to outdo one another. You know, Herod was constantly in competition with people. Not only did he try and kill Jesus because he felt threatened, but he actually, sorry, there's so much killing in this story. He actually killed his brother-in-law because his brother-in-law was becoming more popular with the people than he was. When we start competing with people, suddenly their win becomes our loss. Their compliment becomes our insult. You know, I read a quote recently that said, someone else's success doesn't rob you of anything. Someone else's success doesn't rob you of anything. Just because the person next to you is succeeding in their call does not mean they're trying to rob you of, sorry, they're not trying to rob you of your call. You know, that is the voice of insecurity and we've got to be so careful that we don't believe that because then we start imagining something that's not even a reality. The voice of insecurity said to Herod, hey, Jesus wants to take your kingdom. That man, Jesus, is going to take your kingdom. That wasn't the reality. Jesus wasn't interested in his kingdom. He wanted to come to earth to establish his own kingdom. But that's what insecurity does. It handicaps the mind. And you begin to imagine things that aren't even real. Did you know that your emotions can't tell the difference between what's imagination and what's reality? Shane Willard talks about this quite a bit, but I'll give you an example. So if you're a parent and you have a child and they want to go out and you say, all right, be home by 10 p.m., and then it gets to 10 p.m. and they're not home. And then it gets to 11 p.m. and 12 a.m. and 1 a.m. and they're still not home. You start panicking and you start imagining everything that could have gone wrong and where are they? Are they lost? Has something terrible happened? And your emotions can't tell if that's reality or imagination. So you are really feeling the weight of what you're thinking about. And you know, this is why so many diehard fans for celebrities have actually been known to commit suicide and harm themselves because for years they have imagined this relationship and they had fantasized about being with this person and their emotions don't know that it's not a reality. And so when the celebrity doesn't look at them at a show or reply to one of their messages, they're devastated and they actually feel heartbroken just as much as if it happened in reality. And so this is just a little tip for all the women out there. If you like a guy and he's texting you just a little bit, don't go imagining you walking down the aisle and getting married and having babies because your emotions are going to come with you and it can actually cause quite a bit of damage. 
So this is why we have to protect our mind, not fantasizing, not imagining, because this is where insecurity begins. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because whatever has your mind has you. In fact, doctors have come up with a term for this. It's called psychosomatic. It's this connection between the mind and the body, and there's such a strong connection. You know what we think we become. But tonight, I want to ask the question, where does insecurity come from? We know it begins in the mind, but where does it come from? We know what it looks like, but where does it come from? We know the fruit of it, but what is the root? Because unless we get to the root, the fruit will keep on occurring. And I want to suggest to you tonight that nearly every insecurity is rooted in a fear of rejection. Or another way to put this, a longing for acceptance. You see, so many people thought King Herod was just power hungry and all about status and position. But deep down, it wasn't power he wanted, it was acceptance. Did you know that just before he died, he ordered for a number of Jewish leaders to be killed on the day of his death so they would be crying and mourning when he died. Thankfully, that order wasn't carried out, but that's how much he feared the people's rejection. Even in his last hours, he wanted their acceptance. He wanted them to care about him. And we might not be as extreme as Herod, but we've all struggled with rejection. We've all faced it at one point in our life. You know, maybe you didn't get picked for that sports team when you were younger. I don't know if they still do that today, but um, when I was in primary school, they would literally get two captains up in front of everyone and you'd have to call a name out one by one and have someone on your team. It was ruthless. And I must admit, when it came to the netball team, I was picked last. They said I was short, but whatever. Um, But maybe, you know, you didn't get the job that you you interviewed for. Maybe you didn't receive that scholarship or you went through a breakup. Maybe you were having a great night out and then you checked Instagram and saw all your friends hanging out without you. I mean, there's been so many times where we've been rejected and we do everything we can to avoid it. This is why we try and prove ourselves. We try and prove we're good enough so that we won't be rejected and that people will accept us and approve of us. This is why we perform and we compete so that we might be recognised and seen by people. You'll actually be surprised the lengths that people go to just to be accepted. Psychologists will even tell you that one of the most powerful forces in humanity is acceptance. You see, every single one of us is born with this innate desire for acceptance. That's the way God designed us. That's the way we've been created. But if we fail to recognize that we are created to find acceptance in God, then we will forever be trying to find it in people. If you wanna live out the call in your life, if you wanna start that business, if you wanna go to the nations, if you wanna change the culture of your workplace, if you wanna bring revival to your university, see salvations in your high school, if you wanna raise a godly family to be set apart from this world, then we cannot, afford to be living for people's acceptance. Jesus never said that we'd be accepted by everyone. In fact, he actually said the opposite. You can look it up yourself, John 15, 18. But acceptance, it comes and it goes. The crowds accepted and loved Jesus one minute and the next minute they hated him. And you know, even when I was in high school, I had a great group of friends, but there was this one girl that we were particularly close and we'd do everything together. We were joined at the hip and then when, we got to, when I got to university, I recommitted my life to Jesus and I started growing in my faith. And so one day I went over to my friend's house and she seemed a little bit distant. And so I asked her, I'm like, is everything all right? And she looked at me and she said, no, 
Not everything is all right. I don't like the fact that you believe in Jesus. And she went on to tell me that, you know, I wasn't allowed to say the name of Jesus. I, I, if we were going to be friends, I wasn't allowed to speak about church or my faith. Or I pretty much had to pretend that I wasn't a Christian. And I told her, I can't do that. And she walked me out of her house and closed the door in my face. And it took her seven years to talk to me again. Can I tell you tonight that not everyone is going to accept us for who we are? And this is why I believe that Jesus said to Paul, it's found in Acts 26 verse 17, I'm going to deliver you from the people and then I'm going to send you to the people. You see, before Jesus can send us to the people, He needs to deliver us from the people. He needs to free us from wanting their acceptance. He needs to free us from needing their approval. He needs to free us from even the fear of their opinions. Because how many of us know we live in a day and age where everyone has an opinion and they can post all about it. But just because someone said it doesn't mean it's true. Opinions aren't facts. Our life is not defined by what someone says. It's defined by what Christ has done. If I could have the band come up, please. And this is what Christmas is all about. God brought his one and only son into this world to be born in a manger, to go all the way to a cross so that humanity could receive the unconditional love and acceptance that they were created for. You know, when we think about the cross, there are a number of exchanges that took place. Whether it was that Jesus was punished so that we may be forgiven or wounded so that we may be healed or even the fact that he experienced death so that we could receive life. But the exchange I even want to bring our attention to right now is the fact that he was rejected so that we could be accepted. Jesus suffered our rejection so that we could have his acceptance before the Father. You see, when Jesus, you see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died a lot quicker than other people that were crucified. In Mark 15, Pilate, Pontius Pilate even said that he was surprised that Jesus passed away so soon. And you know, I don't believe that Jesus died quickly because he was beaten more severely, although it was a torturous act. I personally believe that Jesus died quickly because he died of a broken heart. You see, Matthew's gospel said that Jesus was, as he was nailed to that cross, as he was hanging there, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was no response. For the first time in history, the father had turned a deaf ear towards the son. In that moment, he suffered our rejection because he was carrying our sin. Why did he do this? Why did he go to the cross to have his heart broken? He did it so that we may receive the acceptance that was rightfully his. It was all for us so we could be here tonight and say no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what anyone says about us or what they do to us, we are accepted by the Father. When that veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, it was God announcing to the world that you are welcome. Come in, I accept you. It doesn't matter who you are, you are loved and you are accepted. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Every single one of us through faith in Him can say, I am chosen by God, forgiven and justified. I am far from oppression and will not live in fear. I've received abundant grace and the gift of righteousness. I am God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works that He has prepared me to do. I overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation.
nation, a purchased people. I am a new creation and the Spirit of God who is greater than the enemy in this world lives in me. We need to get this into our spirit. We gotta get it into our spirit because if we don't know who we are, someone else is gonna tell you who you are. If we don't know what God says, then we're gonna let the enemy tell us what we are. We're gonna let the media and the the culture tell us who we are. We've got to speak the Scriptures over our life. We've got to take this, we've got to declare it and out loud too. You know, it's a scientific fact that we believe more of what we say than what anybody else says. And so we need to speak it out over our life. Would you stand with me? You know, in Ephesians 1.6, it says that we are accepted by the Beloved. And if you're going to hear one thing out of my entire message tonight, then hear this. We live from a place of acceptance, not for acceptance. We live from acceptance. You know, when we read the Christmas story, the first thing that the angel Gabriel said to her was, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. You know, that word favoured is the same word we found in Ephesians, accepted. In other words, the angel said, You who are highly accepted. Could it be that the angel wanted Mary to be so secure from the very beginning? Because if she was gonna bring Jesus into her generation, then she couldn't accomplish it by living for people's approval. She had to live from acceptance. And could it be that we're just like Mary, that every single one of us are called to bring Jesus into our generation, but we cannot do it if we're living for the approval of man. You know, if we are not secure in God's love and the fact that He accepts us, and how on earth do we expect the world to be? Our security is what sets us apart. And my prayer and passion is that we would be a secure generation that will rise up and take steps of faith and not be afraid of what people think. A generation who know their calling. A generation whose confidence is not in themselves, but in God. A generation that builds one another up, that are a catalyst for the destiny of others, that embrace their differences, that move in the power of the Holy Spirit, that are unified like an army, and the generation that bring transformational love, power and grace of Jesus Christ into our world. You know, there's such a call in our generation. But before God wants to do something through us, He first wants to do something in us. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, 
We would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.